All right, at this point in our worship, um, we have not only the opportunity, um, but really we have the privilege and the freedom that this nation affords for us to either open our Bibles or to look above to the scripture passage that we're considering this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we'll read from Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Um, I think for a number of us, this is a familiar story, a very short story that Jesus tells. There may be some of us here this morning also who may not be very familiar with this story, but it is, it is told by Jesus in a very, very simple way that the smallest of children can understand it, the newest of believers can understand it, even people who are curios curiosity seekers, those who are wondering, what is this Jesus all about? What is this teaching all about? can understand it as well. That's just the nature of Jesus' teaching. And this is a passage that is designed for us to search our hearts as we either observe the supper this morning or participate in it. So I want to read it uh, this morning, beginning at verse 9, Luke chapter 18. He, that's a reference to Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Simple words, right? Yet so typical of Jesus, his stories or his teachings are very simple, but when you begin to dig into them, oh, Jesus has a way of searching the human heart, searching our hearts, I trust, this morning. Now, to begin with this morning, I have to um, tell you that it is, it is a great uh, pleasure as a pastor to get to know people, to get to know you, and to have conversations and dig a little bit into each other's lives. And for me, especially as, as, as a pastor, I do very much enjoy meeting new people as well, not just the members of the church, but new people that God, by his grace and by his spirit, brings, Lord willing, into the context of our church family, our, our, our church community. And in so many um, churches previously that I have, I've, I have pastored, when new people come to the church and they begin... Um, with very little understanding of the Christian faith. 
Um, I have the opportunity to meet with them, usually after the church service, and then at some point I usually say, let's you and I get to, if you're okay with it, let's get together for coffee, let's talk a little bit, and then we do that, and if they're further comfortable, then I say, do you want to start talking about the, the basics of the Christian faith? And if they say yes, we do. And then we go, we go through some basic things together in the opening uh, sessions, and then usually what, what happens is in their as we're going through these basic things together, they, 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 they come to kind of a painful point. And it's a painful point that's not unique to them, but it's a painful point that should be common among all of us. And that painful point is this, where they start coming to grips with really who God is, but also who they are. And when they begin to search their hearts, it's not always a very pleasant experience because they see a lot of darkness and they see a lot of muck that for, for, for a long time, probably many years, they, not, they have not been dealing with. And it's always variations on a theme. A lot of times it, it, it revolves around matters relating to sexuality. It could be sexual abuse in their past. It could be just... Uh, pornography, it could be other things, a foul mouth, it could be bad, rela broken relationships, what have you. I mean, you just, you just multiply it. So, so they have what we, what we all have here this morning. We have what we call skeletons in the closet. We have muck, we have a lot of dirt in our lives. We're honest with each other. And, and, and though this is a painful experience, as they begin to descend into the muck, into the dirt, though it's painful, it ultimately is a good thing, and it's a necessary thing, and I'll tell you why. Because it's only when you find yourself in the dirt, and it's only when you understand fundamentally just how vile you are, we are, then the transition begins to take place. Because it's only when you are lowered, when you are, as Jesus says, when you are humbled, that you're, you're, you're going to confess your need. That's only when confessing need comes about. And you see your need for things like forgiveness. You see things like your need for Jesus. And fundamentally, you see your need to come to a point that the Bible describes as shalom. It's a point of peace. It's a point of rest. And Jesus himself anticipates that. Jesus is not surprised by that when he says, and it's the most beautiful invitation, I think, in all of the New Testament, where Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with your sin, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. Now, as we go into the passage, you're going to understand why I brought this out in the introduction and why I'm going to ask you this question right now. Do you have an honest assessment of who you are? Really, deep down. And do you have an honest understanding of your need for Jesus? Okay? You'll understand why I asked those two questions as we get into the story. Without further ado, let's do that. When we come to the story, this very simple story, Jesus presents us with two 
men, two guys, they're about as opposite as you can get. You got, you got a man who's called a Pharisee on one hand, and then a term that's used in an older translation of the Bible is you have a publican, which by the way, he's called a tax collector here. So they are, they are polar opposites. And as I describe them now to you, you're going to understand why I say that. Jesus, first of all, talks about the Pharisee. So let's talk about the Pharisee first. The Pharisee was known as a religious conservative within the Judaistic religion. The word Pharisee literally means separated one. And as a religious conservative, a man with great religious zeal, what a Pharisee would do is he would, in a sense, not only distinguish himself, but he would physically separate himself from those who without God and without hope in the world. And there were usually two groups that the Pharisees tried to stay away from. By the way, when it talks about a single Pharisee here, he's part of an overall religious sect called the Pharisees. Okay? And the Pharisees viewed themselves as a reform movement within Judaism. And the reason why they believed that there needed to be reform and a reviving among the people of God is for really two reasons. First of all, when they looked at those on the outside perimeter of Judaism, they found people who were called Gentiles. And when you read about Gentiles in the Bible, these are simply non-Jews, and they're part of the overall Greek culture around them. And these are individuals who were, worshipped foreign gods, not the true God of Israel. So the Pharisees wanted to distinguish themselves, obviously from the culture, from the pagan culture around them, but also... What they wanted to do is they wanted to distinguish themselves from those within Judaism that they thought were compromisers. Those who had, in a sense, among the Jewish people, assimilated or kind of began to dabble more and more in the culture around them, so more and more they began to fall by the wayside religiously. And what the Pharisees wanted to do is they wanted to instill back among the Jews God and a heart for God and a heart for God's law. And that's not a bad thing. We need God and we need his law. We need his standards. We need fences. We need perimeters because God knows the world's not providing us with these things, right? You and I live in the world every day. And what do we see around us? Well, what we see are... Various expressions of individualism where we want to do what we want to do. And at the heart of people in the world oftentimes is a spirit of autonomy. Autonomy comes from really two words. I'm not going to get overly technical. But the word auto, which means self, and nomi, which comes from the Greek word nomos, which means law. In other words, they're a law unto themselves. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. I have that right. I live in a free country, right? The Pharisees looked at that. They looked at what was in the law and the compromising among their people and say, we don't want that. We need to return to God and his law. A good thing, but that good thing can turn sour if you don't watch it. And here's the reason why. Because being a people of parameters and fences can lead to a number of things if you're not careful. One is pride. Second is condescension. Kids are going like, what does the word condescension means? It means where you just kind of look down upon other people who are different than you are and who don't know God and who are, not, who are living like they don't know God. 
But also, there is a spirit of what can happen is separationism, a bit of what we call a sectarian spirit, where you say to yourself, I'm like this because I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the world, and I don't want to be like people within the church who are compromising with the world. And, and what Jesus is doing is he's warning precisely against pride, against pre, uh, prejudice, against condescension, and against the sectarian spirit, where it's us versus the world. Not us for the world, to be a light to the world, but us against the world. You sense that in the spirit of the Pharisee here. Listen to his prayer, okay? Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. Now listen to him. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's his prayer. Now I want you to notice something about this prayer, three things about this prayer. First of all, as the Pharisee is praying, he's, he's distinguishing himself, he's really separating himself from what we would call the kind of big-time sinners today, okay? So he mentions them. This is extortioners. These are, these are people who bilk money out of people. Really, fundamentally, they're thieves. He talks about, he just uses a ten, general term, the unjust, the unrighteous. He, he also talks about adulterers, right? Those who have broken marriage vows by getting into sexual relationships that they didn't, they shouldn't, you know? And and so, with the Pharisee, if you'd ask him, do you think that you're a sinner? Do you ever break God's law? He would say, yes, but not like that. Man, if we're honest with ourselves, we are all adulterers here. We are all unrighteous. We are all unethical. We're all lawbreakers. The Pharisee would admit it, but he would say, at least I'm not like to that degree. He not only distinguishes himself from these individuals, but what he does is he, he notice in, as he prays, he, if, if you look at the text, he, he elevates himself. He ele elevates his religious zeal. And, and he says two things in the prayer. They're rather audacious. He says, number one, he says, um, I, I, how does he put it? Uh, I fast twice a week. I fast. You guys know what fasting is? It's when... It's when you go without food for a while, sometimes without drink for a while, and in the, in the Bible actually encourages fasting, right? As a, as a way of putting aside these things that we can be consumed by in order that our, our hearts and our souls might be closer knit to God. And the Pharisees saying, I do that twice a week. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time I fasted? I'm thin enough. I'm going, what do I have to fast for, right? So, right, but when, when, what's it like, who, who fasts today? Yet he says, I do it twice a week. And beyond that, he says, um, I tithe everything that I get. I mean, even the Bible doesn't require that. You know, the Bible, I think, does advocate a tithe. I think tithing is a good practice, but it didn't say you have to tithe everything that you get. But he's saying, I tithe everything that I get. In other words, he's super religious. He's like what we call super Christian today. And then the worst thing about this prayer, it's a bad prayer, by the way. There's good prayers, and then there's bad prayers. This is a bad prayer. I want, look again closely at the text. Notice how, how, his, how his prayer and his pride is clothed in piety. 
He just doesn't say, he doesn't go to the temple and go, and, and, and he doesn't think to himself going, man, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not an extortioner. I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. I'm not glad that I'm unjust and all these other bad things. He, he, said, he prays, he goes, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. It's, it's, it, it'd be like a Christian today saying, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm an elect child of God, that you have loved me from all eternity, that you've brought me to Christ, that you have blessed me so that I don't have to be like that. That's a conservatism of the worst sort. Sometimes you find that. You find those who are conservative religiously, and there's a little bit of a pious tint to them. But dig into the heart, you see a lot of darkness, a lot of pride, a lot of sectarian spirits. It's called Phariseeism. Yes, I thank you that I'm not like, like this. It's, it's sad. It's very sad. Remember, everything who we are and everything that we have can only be attributed to the grace of God, the tender mercies of God. Remember that song we sang last week? Amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's an awful word, isn't it? Wretch, it even sounds bad, wretch. Yeah, but it's a great word if you're going to understand the gospel, if you're going to be led to Christ. Because you've got you to understand yourself as a wretch. Yeah. You say, well, a wretch like like, give me an example of a wretch. Okay, well, let's go to the, let's go to the publican. Let's go to the tax collector, shall we? He's the other guy. Listen to his prayer. It's, it's, a, it's a short prayer. It's a short prayer. You get it? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he says. You would think with a guy with so much dirt on him, so many sins that he's been wrestling with, would have this long, drawn-out prayer. God does not always require long, drawn-out prayers from us. Even the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us, it's a very short prayer, isn't it? This is a short prayer. It's a gut prayer. You ever have gut prayers? All he does is he has a spurt. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Done. I want to suggest to you, however, that when it uses the word, it doesn't say he said it, he, would, he, he was saying it. In other words, I think that he was probably repeating it. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I am, Lord, just, just have mercy on me. Something like that. But what's interesting about this passage is notice not only what he says, but notice his posture. We don't talk enough about posture when it comes to our relationship with God or posture in worship. We're bodily creatures. Okay? So his posture is this. First of all, it says, if you look at the text, it says that he's standing afar off as he's praying. Standing afar off. Now, I don't know if this means he's standing afar off from the Pharisee. It probably means he went up to the temple to pray, but he was standing far from the temple because he felt so unworthy. Did you know, if you're, if you're raised in the Christian faith and you've had that privilege, you just think, well, you just go to church. I'm used to going to church. Did you know that when people are not accustomed to going to church, to go to church for the first time can really freak them out. It can really unsettle them. You go, well, why would that be? I mean, I know there's new people that they don't know, but, but why would it unsettle them? When I was pastoring in Toronto, I got to know a lady 
named uh, Patsy Murphy. She was the most foul-mouthed woman I had ever met, but I interacted with her over time. And she, was, she lived in an apartment just down from the Parsons where I lived in Toronto. And we got talking and had her husband, Bud. And after a while, make a long story short, I was teaching them uh, the Christian faith. And I found that as we were going through the faith together, her, her mouth started to change. And she, she swore less. And then I finally got to the point where I said, would you, would you want to come to church sometime? It's just down the road. And you know what she said? She said, I can't go to that church. I said, Why? That's where the holy people go. And she was completely serious. So when, when people from the outside, when people from outside who are transitioning to Jesus or are curious about Jesus, they feel like they're dirty compared to the holy people. And I'm like, you really want to look into our hearts? You really want to see what's there? You're going to see that you're no different than any one of us. Come. Well, that's the way the publican feels. He's like, oh, I don't, I, 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 he's standing afar off. I can't, I can't even be around the Pharisees. I can't even be with other people at the temple. I can't, go, I can't go by the temple. No, I'm not worthy. But more than that, you sense his unworthiness as he won't even look up. He's just looking down. And not only is he looking down, he's beating his chest. He's physically beating himself. He's beating himself up. That's what people do. And then he utters the prayer. God, be merciful to me. A, he used that word, sinner. He owns up to it. You know what a sinner is? He's a lawbreaker. He breaks the laws of God and he breaks the, the heart of God. And he knows it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, in the original language, should I tell you what it reads like? It reads like this. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, God, be merciful to me, a definite article is used, the word the. God be merciful to me, the sinner. What's the significance of that? The significance is, is that he feels that he's not just one sinner among many, like we feel that way this morning, hopefully, but he feels like he's the chief of the sinners. He's like the worst of the worst. Certainly, the people around me have not engaged themselves in the kind of life that I have lived. In other words, here's the point. This man has hit rock bottom. And that's a very painful place for him to be. But it's the best place for him to be. It's the best place for us to be. Because only when we hit rock bottom are we going to be forced to actually have to look up and understand that God does not give himself to people who are full of themselves, but people who are empty and downtrodden. It was the great... Um, church father named Aurelius Augustine who himself was living a life that was very unpleasing to God. He embraced a number of views that were anti-Christian. He, um, he was living with a woman for a while, fathered a child out of wedlock. He had his mother who was praying for him. And finally, in his early 30s, he was converted to the Christian faith. And he had a number of wonderful saints. And one of them is this. He said, um, God, God only gives to beggars with open hands, empty hands. What kind of empty hands? Well, not, not the hands of the Pharisee. His hands are closed. The empty hands of the publican are those whom God receives and answers their prayer. Why do I say that? Take a look at the last verse. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house 
justified. What man? Well, the publican, the tax gatherer. He went back to his house justified. That word justified is a legal term. It means that he went back to his house considered to be righteous in the eyes of God. Not because he was such a righteous man himself, but God saw into his heart. He understood his faith. He understood his need. And God declares to him, as God declares to any one of us who come to the point of public land, I declare you righteous now in my eyes, not because you're righteous, but because of what my son Jesus has done for you in pain for your sins on the cross. He went down to his house justified rather than the other, the other meaning the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, you want to come right before God? You start on the ground in the muck. And God sees that and he lifts you up. If you're full of yourself in any measure, God will humble you until you come down into the muck and then he will lift you up. In other words, the muck, again, not a pleasant experience, but it's the place that we all need to be. So I want to leave you this because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. The Christian life all begins, and by the way, it continues with a posture, a particular posture, and that is on our knees. Crying out to Jesus, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's when we do that, when we're down on our knees, that God says, okay, now get up off those knees. In fact, he comes down and he lifts us off our knees, and he draws us to himself, he does this, wipes all the dust and the dirt off us. He embraces us. When we confess our sins in the name of Jesus, he forgives us. And then eventually what he does is he leads us right here to this table in time. Because you know what? This table, what we're doing this morning, this isn't, this isn't for the strong, this is for the weak. This isn't for the righteous. This is for the sinner. This isn't for the one who is full of himself or full of herself, but it's for those who have emptied themselves and put them in the place of the tax collector who see their need for the body and the blood of Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you have never adopted the posture of the publican, the tax collector. If you have, have never come to the point of saying, you know what, I'm tired of hiding behind my sin. I'm tired of all this covering. I am tired of, of presenting myself to other people that I know isn't true within. If you have never come to that point, then what stops you from doing so? Ask yourself that question. What's stopping me? Then ask God, just Lord, open up my heart that I may come to grips with myself and see my need for Jesus, that I may draw near to you. And if you, if you, if you were here this morning, you'd even know what that, what that looks like or how to do that. Come to me after the service. Talk to me sometime. It doesn't even have to be this week. Maybe next week. And if you're not sure about Jesus, and you're not sure about the validity of Jesus or the truth of Jesus, then hang tight. Keep coming and explore further with us what it means that Jesus is the forgiver of sinners. And then finally this, 
if, if you have had the privilege of, of being reared in the Christian faith and being reared in a church like this, and you have never known a day in your life that you have not known Jesus, and praise God for that, because that's all of the tender mercies of God. And if you've embraced Jesus and you have publicly professed him and you're a member of this church or you've been granted permission to come to the table this morning, then take hold of that opportunity and let us celebrate the supper together and let us pray that God would give us not the heart of the Pharisee but the heart of the publican that we may identify with that so that in time we may come alongside of others who feel the way of the publican and embrace them. And bring them to the feet of Jesus. Let's think on these things. We're going to celebrate the supper in just a moment. Before we do, join me in prayer if you would. Heavenly Father, a very simple, but Father, we admit compelling story of Jesus. Teaching us, O oh God, to search our hearts and to come to grips with who we really are. Sinners in need of his blood, and of his righteousness, and the eternal life that he offers us here this morning. Father, help us to think about these things. And as we celebrate the supper together, as we eat the bread representing the body of Christ and drink the wine representing the blood of Jesus Christ, God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and that you would draw us into deeper communion with each other and those whom you have brought here to this place this morning. God grant that we pray in Jesus' name.